standing on the corner Suitcase in my hand Jackson's course Jane is in her vest And me, I'm in a rock and roll band huh. Riding us studs back at Jim You know, those were different times All, all the poets, they studied rules of verse And those ladies, they rolled their eyes I'm the Jack, he is a banker And Jane, she is a clerk And both of them save their monies And when, when they come home from work Welcome back, pod people, to the final episode of Band Documentaries on Cinema de More. I'm your host, Justin Morgan, and I'm here with Chuck. And we are talking about The Velvet Underground, directed by Todd Haynes, about the band The Velvet Underground. Really, really connecting back. He's also the director of Velvet Goldmine, which is the film that they talk about in the Stooges documentary as being the movie that made those guys want to play again because it was a movie about a band basically based on the Stooges. <laughs> the Velvet Underground. Yeah, really wrapping it all back up in the same stuff. We got our David Bowie again. Right. We Are X, Gimme Danger, and now the Velvet Underground all had David Bowie. Three doses of David Bowie. We should have probably ended on the David Bowie documentary. I feel like it's weird, though. He, he does get more into these films. Like, just a picture in the first one. There's, like, a bunch of pictures, and he has a relationship with the band and the Stooges. And in this one, we, like, actually get a recording of him talking about, like, like I really like the Velvet Underground. They're a good band. And I'm like, geez, he's, like... He, gets, he slowly gets more prominent in these films, too. Well, well, hold on now. David Lynch is in 
the X movie, and he has a huge relationship with David Bowie, so we'll just kind of, you know, play the, you know, connection game. Yeah, but David Lynch was only in We Are X. He is not yeah. in Gimme Danger or The Velvet Underground. That Well, that's fair. Well, Apple made this or produced it or maybe just distributed it, and Criterion picked it up, and it was getting good reviews, so I thought, hey, why not? And that was my band pick for that reason. I had not watched it before. I like the Velvet Underground, but I'm not a huge Velvet Underground fan. I wasn't expecting it to be as experimental <laughs> of a film as it was. So there's a warning. When you do finally see this on Apple or Criterion Channel or whatever the fuck you're seeing it, they got a lot of footage from the Warhol Museum. Yeah. I feel like this whole movie's almost just as influenced by just Warhol in general as it is the Velvet Underground, because there's just so much of this movie feels like they're just directly pulling. I mean, yeah, we get the first 15 minutes that's just Lou Reed staring at you while you're while he's narrating, like, his early life. So am I allowed to talk about how this movie made me sick? <laughs> you can talk about that at any time. What made you sick? Everything. The way it was shot. Like, you had epilepsy? There was an epilepsy warning before it started. Uh, yeah, definitely a much needed. Absolutely needed. Like, <laughs> this was the day that I had to drive the work vehicle that had broken air conditioning in it, and I had heat stroke. So I came home and then watched this, and I felt kind of sick before I went into it. If you had heat stroke, this movie should have made you feel cool. Uh, they're interviewing that one guy, and it's just the whole side of the screen is blanked out, lit over, and I get what they're going for. Like, it's an artistic choice. They're like talking about Warhol, they're talking about, you know, that 60s, like, anti-art movement, all that kind of stuff, the psychedelic stuff, like, I get what they're going for, but, like, there's, like, 30 minutes of this movie you could cut out of just, like, psychedelic trippy shit and, like, visual things that don't need to be there and, like, long shots of people eating food and, like, stuff that I really just didn't need in my life. I love how much all of this bothers you. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> We saw two very well put together, like streamlined documentaries. And then we saw one great one. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, like, first 15 minutes, like, really lost me. And I was like, I don't want to watch this. And then all of a sudden, like, it got to the middle, and I was like, okay, like, there's information in here, and I'm interested in the information. But then it would, like, trail off again. And I'm like, if you could just focus on the information, like, the information is really interesting. Like, I am interested in what you're telling me but the way that you're telling me and like the, the method is just up its own fucking ass and so you want something that's conventional and that you've seen before yeah when it comes to this kind of stuff i like that i thought that this was interesting power to him to make trippy warhol video i mean i did learn a lot knew that he had something to do with the band i didn't realize that he was such a, a hardcore producer as he was look look i I have the banana. I have Andy Warhol's corpse a minute away from me. We could get it <laughs> at any fair. moment. <laughs> I should have recorded the episode on his tombstone. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I have the banana. <laughs> it was conventional in the way that everybody talked about the band, and then at the end they told you how everybody died. Yeah. yeah. Very similar to Give Me Danger again, where it just had to end with, like, and this guy died, and this guy died, and this guy's dead. <laughs> it's like nobody's there anymore. Also, it had a kind of a similar montage thing at the end. Give Me Dangers was, like, a lot more wild, but yeah. it was definitely cut 100% on the music. There was, again, we both picked these movies. Had you watched this beforehand? 
No. Okay, so yeah, we both picked these movies having not seen them, and I was like, oh, I'd probably pick something different if I'd have realized ours overlap so much. <laughs> like, just in, the, he even points out John Cale, who produced the Stooges' first album, like, there's people holding up Stooges' albums that he's like, when he got kicked out of the band, I was like, well, I guess I'll just go produce these guys then. And it's like, <laughs> it felt, felt like we were just watching, like, part one and part two of, like, a two-part miniseries or something. And he does the same thing in this, where he likes to use, uh, he pulls, like, movie footage to, like, illustrate a point. I don't think he does it necessarily as much as Jim Jarmusch did. He goes more for the Andy Warhol, just, like, collage of weird stuff. But I did notice he does, from time to time, when they make mention of, like, a very specific thing, they'll start playing, like, movie footage kind of, like, relates to what he's talking about. And I was just like, God, these movies are, like, they're they're just the exact same time frame. The, the people are overlapping in them. I was like, I, I probably would have picked something different had I realized they were going to cross over that much. Well, at least it wasn't the nine-hour Peter Jackson Beatles documentary, yeah, so... Yeah. Didn't have, oh to, didn't have to invest too much. I don't understand, though, why length is an issue when you seem very interested in Warhol's 28-hour movie of a person on a couch, but you have a problem with Lou Reed staring at you for 10, 15 minutes. No. Oh, was it Lou Reed with the chocolate bar? Was that it? <laughs> yeah, the, actually, the, i got to be honest. The Lou Reed with the chocolate bar part was actually making me sick. I don't like watching people eat chocolate rolls. He wasn't even eating. He was just, like, holding it by his face. I don't like food. I, I have an issue with food. I would love to see that on television, a 15-minute, is this, what's going on? It's like, no, it's a 15-minute Hershey's bar commercial. <laughs> just the dude, like, just eating it, like, really slowly. Just so long, and they're like, what is wrong with the TV? Why is this on so much? Right. Warhol's really injected in this documentary pretty heavily, and Warhol seemed to like, I just want to slow time down, and I just want to live in a moment for a very long time, and right. today it's like everything is like how Vine was like super short, TikToks are like a minute, it's just like, let's get through our ideas as fast as we can, and Warhol's like, mm, what if we stayed with this one person eating a sandwich for about 15 hours, and just saw what happened because they even said he didn't really give them much direction he was so soft-spoken that he just kind of made everybody nervous i could see that he, he kind of has serial killer vibes i think for sure I, I did learn a lot about this band so first of all um obviously i think a lot of people think this and i didn't realize it i thought this was andy warhol's band it's not Andy Warhol's band. They were a pre-existing band that Andy Warhol hooked up with. So that was all like completely new information for me. I never knew that. Second of all, I didn't know it was Lou Reed's band. I thought Lou Reed was like totally his own thing because I'm quite familiar with Lou Reed. Like he's an incredible musician, right? So I didn't know that this was like Lou Reed was like I'm so tired of being like a accomplished like quality good musician. Lou Reed was a terrible musician. That was his real he's problem. Like, but he's like, he's like, I want to make like real hard fuck around music, and so this is like why he goes off and like does this and stuff so he can make this like fuck around music essentially. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that that's what this was was like Lou Reed wanting to go off and like fuck around essentially. Like that's what this whole thing was. And then Andy Warhol's like, hey Lou Reed, I see you're off fucking around. Want me to fuck around with you? And he's like. Yeah. Or when he fucked around on stage and the drummer's like, I don't know what the fuck he was doing. I just was watching his lips to see when we started. 
Yeah. Like yeah. I'm here whenever <laughs> I'm here whenever we're ready to start. It feels like it feels like another like Stooges thing. Like I don't yeah. know, man. He was out in the crowd, and we just keep playing until he got back on stage right. and started singing the next line. And of course, heroin. Like tons of heroin. Like. And the song heroin. Yeah, the whole thing starts out with a song about heroin. I'm like, okay, now we're gonna get right into the heroin. I mean, if you're talking about Lou Reed, Lou Reed did love his heroin. I mean, the guy was like really into it. Probably ever since his shock therapy that he had, which his sister says was because he had mental issues and had anything to do with homosexuality. <laughs> they said he was depressed and anxious and he had a hard time talking to people, so they sent him to get electrocuted. You know, just exactly how you should take care of anybody with yeah, mental issues. Just start zapping their brain. I love that part when talking about how they were made to play with Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, and that one woman's like, we, they're fucking hippies. We fucking hate hippies. <laughs> Fuck hippies. And she starts going, she's like, we were like anti-establishment. We were like, whatever. She's like, hippies are fucking lazy. They don't do shit. They just sit around and go like, oh, free love. And like, sit around and whatever. And I was like, cracking up loud. I was like, oh, I fucking love this woman. She's like my hero. I was like, that's the fucking best. Because I was like, I fucking hate hippies. <laughs> I was like, whoever this woman is, I was like, that's the person I would have been in that time period. I would have been with these people. I would have never been with the fucking hippies. I was like, these are my kind of people. Chuck, where did you watch this? On Apple? Yeah. At least it's, uh, it's still up, I guess. Yeah. It'll probably always be on their thing. If they it probably I watched it. it on Apple as well. That's where I watched it. I mean, we saw the Beastie Boys one. I guess I need to see. Wasn't there like a Miley Cyrus one on there too? I'm trying yeah. to remember who. They were doing somebody else, and I couldn't think who it was. I like the footage of them in like the Jets jersey. The one time where you don't see them just wearing all black. <laughs> yeah. I like how they're always in black, and then they had that one woman in the band that they would always put in white, and they started feeling embarrassed, and they would go out places because they were like, we felt stupid because we were always just standing around in black, and then this one woman just got to dress normal. Was it Nico, or was it the other one that's just like, don't make me sing? That was Nico, Nico yeah. I thought Nico was the drummer that goes on to do her slow shit. No, that's Maureen Tucker. Thank you. Nico was, where was she from? She's not American, but she was a model or something. Yeah, I don't think she's French or somewhere, yeah, somewhere in Europe. Warhol's like, you got to get her in your band because you need somebody beautiful. And they're like, she can't sing. And they're like, it's okay. We'll work around it. Like, she's a terrible singer, but she, like, works really well for only this particular, like, type of music. So it's like, okay, she works for this, so we'll use her. Nico loved Lou. Andy loved Lou. Everybody was in love with Lou. It's your new sitcom, Everybody Loves Lou. <laughs> and Lou just loves heroin. This opens up like a cigarette commercial for Winston Cigarettes. It kind of puts you back in that time, the time that they were like starting all this stuff. Same kind of shit. They learned classical music first. What did John go to do? I wanted to learn cello, but they didn't. Yeah, we wanted to they do didn't. the violin, but they gave him a viola instead. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, so he's got the like what electric viola by like the end of the documentary, which that <laughs> seems pretty cool. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I see bands now, and they got too many guitarists, so the electric viola in there. <laughs> was it Lou's mom that went to the mental institution or something? He's like, yeah, I never. John Cale's mom. Oh, so John, I'm mixing them up. I wanted to compose music and everything, but I couldn't do it in the middle of nowhere, which was giving me, like, Daft Punk, PTSD. 
Giovanni, whatever. Mordor. Yeah, how he was talking about starting in Germany in the early 70s. He's like, I lived in the middle of nowhere. I couldn't be what I wanted to be there. <laughs> so I had to go where the people were. All three bands and all the documentaries have like a very strong anti-establishment vibe going on. At least they're non-conformist. They're all very different and... I think it would be awesome to go see one of these shows and they're just the Velvet Underground's just playing whatever the fuck they want. You're like, I have no idea what's going on. Or you're seeing the Stooges and uh, you're watching Iggy Pop try to crowd surf and you're just like, are we going to play music here? Comparatively, X-Japan is very organized. Like, Yeah, they're too organized. Shit, like, they're not like, punk rock. They, out, yeah. <laughs> they got their shit together. But they are at the same time. I mean, the thing is like, all these bands are like, fairly accomplished musicians even if there is like a lot of like crazy off like all of them are all groundbreaking and all of them are all like incredibly influential and all of them all had to deal with their labels kind of like shafting them and not really like putting their stuff out and properly like marketing them so they all kind of had similar stories and they all kind of had a bunch of their people like die before they could really like see success or that kind of stuff too so they all kind of like same similar tragic kind of stories and we're all very influential to other musicians in that way like these bands were all like bands that other musicians were like damn like that's the band that influenced me to do music you know at least x japan had a good following in japan well they had a big following with like musicians outside of japan so it's like if you're into music, people get in. You know when you're like, get it like we get into film, right? We don't just watch American movies. We watch like foreign shit all the time. Like we couldn't possibly just sit here and watch American shit anymore. Like we're at a point like we will always indulge in other countries' shit. So it's like once you're at that point with music too, you're always gonna dip into the pool to see what other countries are doing. And so oh, I like just recently too. Chuck had sent me this playlist on Apple that was. It was the creator of Spider Punk. I don't know yeah. in what or which not the creator, of the, but like the guy that like writes it now. He put together like a punk playlist, like a six hour thing. And there was this band from Japan. I don't know if you listened to them, Chuck, but I started listening to all their albums. Yeah. Autoboke Beaver. They're really fucking awesome. I'd say that they're actually better than X Japan. They're more like a punk than uh, X Japan, which sounds like very heavy eighties hair metal shit. Have you ever seen the movie Wild Zero? No. Is it about them? No, but it's about uh, the Japanese punk band Wild Zero, or um, uh, Guitar Wolf, which is like a fucking filthy, disgusting, dirty Japanese punk band. They're fucking awesome. I don't know how dirty, disgusting these ones are, but they sound amazing. They really do. They're really good. <laughs> when they were on there, it like surprised me, because I'm like, what the fuck is this? It like didn't seem to fit the rest of the music on that play. Well, I mean, it did fit. It, it, it felt the same, but... It was the first one that was just not remotely in English, and I was like, all right, they sound awesome. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they're talking about, because yeah, I can only... new stuff. I know. I got new music, and it's also nice to help practice Japanese, which <laughs> I do pick... I pick up some things. The one that kept saying genitis, which is, no, it's negative. So I'm just imagining they're like, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. I'm like, I don't like <laughs> But maybe I'll start learning from them. I don't know what uh, Otoboki means. <laughs> the one thing when I looked them up said that their name is super clever, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll understand one day why it's clever, but right now, a, no. That, you got to look for, like, the context. 
it's Otoboke Beaver. Yeah. So why would it be clever to have that word before Beaver? Do you know Chuck? No, I don't. No, oh. I'm just saying that's, a, that's <laughs> how you need to figure it out. That's got to be a clue. You know, he's really like Justin is the pillows. Are you familiar with them? No. They're a Japanese band. But I tried to search something the other day and it, on YouTube, and I can't remember what I said, but it was like pillow talk. <laughs> like, I didn't say pillow talk at all. No. <laughs> Did you ever see FLCL, the anime? No. I don't like okay. anime. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I don't even like music. No, I think okay. that um, most of these documentaries, they do kind of transcend real life. They get personal stories, which it does seem like the main factor is something very bad has to happen in your life to become a great musician, apparently. It usually has to be tied to your family. Your dad has to kill himself or just abandon you altogether. It's going to be like one of those two things that create you and make you into who you are. Well, then why am I not famous? Why should you be famous? I guess that's fair. <laughs> I'm giving you a pitch. You can sell yourself. You're like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's probably the reason why you're not famous. You go to pitch yourself, and they're like, you suck. You're like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> Low self-esteem. Oh, man. But, yeah, I also thought it was interesting, too, that the Warhol Museum, they had that couch that Andy Warhol, like, famously, like, sits on. They have the couch there. They have a picture of him underneath the couch. Or, I mean, above the couch. But you can sit on it. And they were showing footage. They had, like, it's like a fucking porno on that couch. And I was like, oh, now it's nice to know people were fucking on that couch yeah that's just now in the like, lobby of the museum go, yeah. go back to that couch hey i did pick people were fucking on andy warhol's couch are you kidding it's the 60s it's his famous couch though it's the swinging 60s of course they're fucking on andy warhol <laughs> was that what they called the 60s the swinging 60s that's right <laughs> i think i'd have been bored hanging out with andy warhol he's <laughs> just like so eccentric and people were just, well, maybe everyone was just so fucking high that it, <laughs> it didn't matter. Right. <laughs> they were just, Nobody like, sitting noticed. around. Oh, well, I like when they were talking about, like, how they were performing, and they were like, oh, well, they, Andy just let anyone operate the lights. He didn't give a shit who it was. Like, yeah, anyone could do in. it. Who, who, who knows how to do lights? You? Okay, good. Like, I'm a big fan of Andy Warhol's art. He presented the idea of, like, pop art anti-establishment art but he's not the first to do it he's the first to bring it out into the mainstream so i'm a huge fan of duchamp the person who created found art so he's the person who found a urinal brought it into the museum and signed his name on it and they were like what the fuck is this and he's like it's art and like i'm a huge fan of ensemblage which is like finding a bunch of shit and then like gluing it together and calling it art i am a fan of unconventional art lowbrow art and all these kinds of things and like andy warhol is a big contributor to that kind of thing but if you start doing lowbrow art with the intent of money, that's where you start disconnecting with it, with me anyway. The whole point of lowbrow art is anti-establishment, anti-capitalist kind of thing. Like, Banksy's good in regards to the fact that he keeps not making money off of it, but he's also making money off of it, so there's like a 50-50 on that. So, like, you want to respect them, but you don't want to respect them. I kind of dig that kind of stuff, so it's like... Why would you not like him? He made Dismal Land or whatever. I'm saying, like, at this exact point in time, I'm not questioning where his values lie because I think the profits are starting to come in and it's questionable. And, and there's a lot of question on Banksy. Just, yeah, Who is Banksy? Like the, I don't know. What if he is the 1%? I think he's a bunch of people. I think I don't think he's one person. 
Um, but my hypothetical was, what if he was already rich? What would that do? But that would explain how he's able to make things like Dismal Land. But <laughs> regardless of that, there is a side of art, too, where I get really frustrated with art. Like, art gets too pretentious, or art could sometimes go too far. Like, the, remember the guy who stapled the banana to the wall and got, like, $10,000? I'm like, that's, like, fucking bullshit, too. And I'm like, so on the one hand, I'm like, I agree with that, but also, like, there's a degree with that where it's bullshit, too. So with Warhol, when he was printing out the banana cover, remember he was making their album, The Velvet Underground's Banana Beats? Warhol's ability to do that lied in the fact that Warhol had access to an industrial press, that like, or an industrial printer that allowed him to make a lot of that stuff. That's money. So, like, what allowed Warhol to essentially create anti-establishment art was the fact that Warhol had a bunch of money that allowed him to sit around and do nothing and do it so he came from money, had money, and then took his money and was like, I'm not going to do anything with my money. I'm going to talk about how money is bad and money is useless and then, you know, earn money by taking other people's money. I think he had a lot to say about people, not just making money. For sure, he did. The whole Borello box thing, I think, is probably his best work because, to me, it's just, like, how much money you can get off of not even remotely trying. It's the problem with consumerism. Is it fair when you have an advantage to have access to, like, industrial-grade equipment like that, like, as an artist? Okay, like, artist did you want him to be underground? No, no. Okay, like, there's, there's an artist that exists right now that has access she owns a giant scanner okay only three of them exist in the world and two of them are owned by companies they're scanners that are so big they're for a warehouse and so this chick has this giant scanner takes an object and throws it on there and scans it and then she prints giant printouts of this thing she makes billions of dollars because she has access and she's considered like this like artist or whatever and i'm like she has access to a fucking giant scanner and a giant printer i'm like is it fair to call her an artist or is it fair to say that she has access to a piece of equipment that nobody else in the world has access she to has access to tolls that's every artist what the hell but she's the only one that has access to it so is it fair to call her an artist or is it fair to say that she's the only one that has access to this thing so you're saying if you had the same toll you would be doing the same thing well that's just all she's doing is just scanning things and printing them so is that i don't know i think it's bullshit and I feel like with Warhol, too, I think a lot of artists look at what Warhol's doing and it's like he's printing shit out and then, like, because he was making giant stickers and that was what his banana thing, too, is. So that's the discussion there. I think Warhol's stuff is art. I think it's a lot more art or an art application to what he was doing because his the stuff involved screen printing and his stuff involved, like, old school processes. So there was a lot more art, art involved in what he's doing. But, like, I don't know about, like, goes back to the AI art discussion too and a lot of that kind of stuff too like I think unfortunately it it is all art because it's all subjective so any other person that could really fair. enjoy it and right. or it could mean something to somebody without it, them enjoying it which I think that's kind of what I dug about this movie so much the perspective wasn't a heavy avant-garde art I guess perspective the is not is it art cuz yeah it's art um, the question is is it fair call a person who has access to yeah but you could say that about anything what if I was the only person that had access to the color red yeah 
and no one else could use red, and then people would be like, oh, that guy's, this guy's not an artist. It's just, he just has red. If I had red, I'd be doing <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. It's anything, or, yeah. But it does give you an unfair I'd be pretty well, that's their problem. Chuck, Chuck was the only person that had the color red. <laughs> like, son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I think it's a fair discussion to have as well. And it's, it's when you, whenever you have the discussion, listen. I'm all about, like, that's like Robert Rodriguez's thing. Like, use the things you have access to and then figure it out later. Like, you have access to a giant car, then put it in your movie. Who cares if the other guy doesn't have access to the giant car? You did. Right. If you have a friend that has a tank or something, so what? Use it. You need it. Write it in the script. I've had to fight with so many art professors in school about the validity of of Andy Warhol being an artist or not. Like, that's been, like, something I've had to, like, fight and battle, like, my entire career. I had an art class in college, and we had one project where we could do whatever we wanted to do, and we had to present it to the class. So I just got Play-Doh, just messed around with Play-Doh while I watched TV, and that, that's what I said. I, I just literally molded this and did whatever while I watched TV and just let my hands do the thinking, and I got, like, 100%. Mm-hmm. Hey, whatever works, right? It's expression regardless i do like todd haynes though he also did that i'm not there with all the people that were playing bob dylan yeah i forgot that was he did that too yeah that's like the first time i think i remember kate blanchett like i mean i know she was in lord of the rings but she was only creepy for like a couple minutes but they're like yeah the standout you think it would be richard gear and i don't i actually didn't think anyone would think it would be richard gear but <laughs> This woman does an excellent impersonation of Bob Dylan. She's probably the perfect Bob Dylan. Yeah, and he was in this, too. I did like in this documentary, too. They don't tell you who anybody is until the end. I thought that that was pretty good. You're, they're just, like, going into it. You're like, I don't know who this person is. Yeah. Okay, those people who make those that fucking music that's just one note, that was awful. Whatever the fucking sound they were making was just like... I mean, I listened to Kenny G blow one note for 40 minutes. Oh, no, whatever frequency they were hitting, whatever they were doing, it was tweaking something in my back. And I'm like, I do not like this at all. This is awful. This is like the worst fucking sound ever. ASMR, too. People who are into that are freaks. And whatever was into light balloons as well. Wasn't the fucking balloon player fucked up as well? Balloons are disgusting. Uh, I do really like Warhol's balloon exhibit. <laughs> is that a thing? But... Yeah, if you would go to the Warhol Museum... They even show it in this documentary where the, he has the balloons, but it's just a room full of balloons that you walk through. <laughs> Is that real? I'm not going to. It's like a foil texture, so everything's Mylar. like real reflective. Thank you. I don't even know if that's right. I believe you. It is. It's pretty fucking cool to walk through. I mean, I love, I, I like Warhol stuff. Well, even when I was there, too, they had a really good, they always have like something on the ground, basement floor or something, some uh, traveling project, and... It was just kitchen knives, like, stabbed into the wall. <laughs> like, this is actually pretty awesome. awesome. They'd have, like, lights on it in different ways, like, to cast the shadows. There was somebody that cut out a bunch of rugs, and it looked like uh, Looney Tunes. Like, somebody fell, like, 20 million feet on, like, you know, cut through the rug, literally. A lot of cool stuff there. There's a lot of crossover with, like, Dolly and, like, Warhol and their, like, weird behaviors. Although Dolly was much better. I, mean, I wouldn't say better. It's different. Dolly? Smell of latex balloons, it makes me sick to my stomach. 
and mylar balloons like piss me off and um they always try to fucking float away on me and like i think about how much do you have them on strings they're on strings but people tie them to things they just sometimes they'll just fucking like float away and shit and i'm like oh my god it's like the worst it's the most stressful part of my job and like when you're driving there's like balloons floating behind your fucking head dancing around and you're looking at the back mirror trying to drive and there's like fucking balloons dancing around like fucking kids on crack in the back you know for somebody that delivers like flowers and stuff you think they would give you a van worth like the balloons could be separated from you they don't have to hit you while you're driving no no they gotta dance around in the back of the fucking car and like the other thing that pisses me off is like helium is a finite substance and balloons are like really really toxic like the the plastic is like so bad like if you study it like balloons are, you like, study really balloons no seriously because if they float away the plastics and the balloons like birds eat it and all that kind of shit and like balloons are really fucking bad for the planet so like balloons are terrible for the planet and helium is necessary in medical equipment and helium's a finite substance that we're running out of literally and we're using it to fill up fucking party balloons to like drive around in the back of my car to bounce off of my fucking head all day while I go and deliver fucking balloons and smell these stupid things to take to people so they're gonna pull, what float away for a blue bird to eat them like this is the dumbest thing ever made balloons are stupid fuck balloons never give me balloons if anybody gives me balloons I'm not talking to them anymore continue <laughs> you're insane I'm insane I'm not the one filling balloons with finite substances and handing them out to kids to fucking suck on and make their voices sound funny. I think kids should be sucking on helium. That's where all the helium oh should my go. God. Because it's funny. <laughs> it is. That's humor 101. That's where the yeah. helium should go. It's like the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> right above a whoopee cushion. Yep. Classic. So I don't really have anything else huge to say about this movie <laughs> besides I really appreciated the experimental aspect of it. It gave me something different. It wasn't boring to watch. I, uh, it sounded really, really good on my sound bar, the Dolby Atmos. It felt like I was kind of in like some weird psychedelic concert of some sort. Yeah. I had a completely different experience. I thought it was way too long. I thought it was boring as shit. I thought it was trying to be too creative for its own good, and the information gets lost in all of its creativity. So we know it's and... good. If you don't like it, it's a good movie. Oh, okay. Is that how this works? I Usually, you're like, it's amazing, and it's feed. <laughs> I didn't say feed. I said feed was shit before we went. Also, you're like, why did you make me watch this movie? I'm like, hey, you wanted to do band documentaries, so... You got a band documentary. I wanted you to pick music you like. I'd watch this ten <laughs> times over rather than that Shane Dawson movie. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I would okay. too. I'd watch it for fifteen hours straight. I'd, okay, I'd, 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 I'd have Lou Reed staring me in the eye all I day long. I agree with watch you that. on that. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just watching a day of Lou Reed staring at you would be more worth your time than watching the Shane Dawson movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I made you watch YouTube movies. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you watch a high-class, prestigious art movie. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think this was probably the best movie I watched this month. I liked it a lot. I'm glad. Even if it was terrible, we'd have a decent discussion. But yeah. I always like when I go in blind picking something, I'm like, well, it sounded yeah. interesting. I hope that. Yeah. yeah, there's always a chance that it's not good. 
No, not always. Your grindhouse picks are good. Your color me red. Because think about it. Chuck brought up the color red today. It had an impact on him. Yeah, we're always thinking about red. Our logo is currently red. Now you can get into the conspiracy theories, listeners. Why does everything come down to the color red? And with that, we'll see you in two weeks as we get into erotic thrillers. Mm. Bye. Bye, everyone.
Cause a man to my vein needs to be a sinner. 